Many of you know I love books. I love words. And I love poetry and really good song lyrics. And I'm proof that you can like poetry and not understand it. I don't get it. I don't understand what an iambic pentameter is. I don't get a haiku. I don't understand all that. I know what I know when I like it, when I read it. And what I like about poetry and good song lyrics is that they capture a feeling of something. They put it into words with metaphors and images in a way that sometimes get past our intellect and right to our heart. And there's a singer-songwriter by the name of Patty Griffin who wrote a song that has always captured my imagination. It's simply called Forgiveness. It goes like this. We are all swimming with the snakes at the bottom of the well. So silent and peaceful in the darkness where we fell. But we are not snakes, and what's more, never will be. And if we stay swimming here forever, we will never be free. But I heard them ringing the bells in heaven and hell. And they got a secret they're getting ready to tell. It's falling from the sky. It's calling from the grave. Open your eyes, boy. I think we've been saved. Open your eyes, girl. I think we've been saved. Let's take a walk on the bridge right over this mess. Don't need to tell me a thing. We're already confessed. And I raise my voice to the air, and we are blessed. It's hard to give, and it's hard to get. But everybody needs a little forgiveness. Have any truer words ever been spoken? Everybody, and everybody includes your body, needs forgiveness. But some of us are haunted, aren't we? We're haunted people by the sins of our past and even the sins of our present. We can't believe what we've done in the past, the way we've hurt someone or what we did or didn't do. And, and even if that person forgives us, we're not sure that we could ever fully forgive ourselves. We're haunted by the ghosts of our guilt and our shame. Everybody needs a little forgiveness. Or what about when you know something is wrong, something is a sin, and yet you continually engage in it? I won't ask for you to raise your hands this morning. Here that ghost is a little bit more like the proverbial devil residing on your shoulder, talking you into something and then condemning you when you do it. Yeah, everybody needs a little forgiveness. For others of us, the problem with forgiveness is actually not so much what we have done, but what has been done to us. Some of us have been treated in ways that are hurtful and wounding and shaming and traumatizing and damaging to the point where we begin to believe that we are the problem. It's as if we've internalized all these stories of things that have happened to us and stories that people have been telling us so that we begin to believe them. And though, although it's not a fault of our own, we begin to feel like, I am the mistake. I am unclean. I am broken. We begin to believe that we are the sin 
even though the sin has been something perpetrated against us. As a clinical psychologist, I see this all the time in abused children who believe it's their fault. Or traumatized women and wives. You can see it in racial minorities who internalize the, the racism around them and even begin to believe negative things about their own self because of the stories, again, they have been told. And we need to break free of these stories. We need to break free of these stories, these untruths that have been told about ourselves. We need to reject this false guilt and shame and break free from the oppression of the lies, which means that we often need someone else to tell us that we are not to blame. If that's you today, and you have experienced wounding and shaming and trauma and hurtful behavior because of something, some setting you were just in, or maybe because of the color of your skin, or maybe because of your gender, and you have heard a story that you are the wrong one, you are at fault, you are the problem, you are broken, I want to say to you today that that's not your fault. That's not who God made you. Everybody needs a little forgiveness. But there's good news. As Patty Griffin says in her song, we've already been saved. Be careful, Brad. You're getting to some interesting theology here. We've already been saved. But check it out. As the great reformers have all said throughout history, although in different ways, there is nothing that we do to obtain or deserve forgiveness. It is God in Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit who has given it to us freely. Already given it to us freely. It is here for the taking, and all you have to do is say, yep, yes, you've already been saved. Now listen again to John, <clears throat> my little children. I'm writing these things to you so that you don't sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is God's way of dealing with our sins, not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Yeah, everybody needs a little forgiveness. And John is telling us, you got it. You got it, you got it, you got it, you got it. It's like Oprah up here. You get forgiveness, and you get forgiveness, and you get forgiveness. Does anybody watch Oprah anymore? Okay. I thought that would be a bigger laugh, sorry. And this message that you've got, it is pretty amazing because John is writing to a church where there is a serious schism on how people are thinking about Jesus. There's a schism here in 1 John, if you read the whole thing. And the schism has to do with who is Jesus. Is he really the Messiah? And John says the Antichrist, who, who you have heard is coming, by the way, has already come. So those of you waiting around for the Antichrist already come. Hate to tell you. In our midst right now. The Antichrist is anyone who denies who Jesus is the Messiah. But to say that Jesus is the Messiah is to say yes to God's saving grace in your life. You've already got it. Can you imagine churches where people split off about different ideas about Jesus? I can hardly even imagine. 
But some of us struggle with forgiveness. And I wish you could hear the word of the Lord today. I'd love for you to imagine having a conversation with the Lord with a kind of care and concern that John uses when he addresses the people as my little children. Did you catch that? Man, I grew up in a time when God was just mean and angry and upset all the time. Anybody else? It just felt like I couldn't do anything right. I'm thankful that I think our sons didn't feel that as much (laughs) growing up. But I did, and some of you did. And so I gloss right over these amazing passages where it says something like, My dear little children, oh, God loves us. And I wish you could hear a conversation with God today where God is experiencing you and loving you as a beloved child. And you might say something like this, Lord, I've sinned and I'm in need of, yep, the Lord interrupts. You got it. What? Wait a second, Lord. I'm not sure you understand. Nope, says the Lord. I got it. I understand. You're forgiven. Thanks for saying yes. No, 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 Lord. But it's not just what I've done. It's who I am. You see, I'm broken. I'm, I'm, I'm wounded. I'm unclean. And again, Jesus breaks in and says, I've got this, child. You're saved. You're forgiven. You're welcomed home. You see, Lent is a time to repent, isn't it? But it's a time to remember that we've already been saved. Yeah, everybody needs a little forgiveness. Or, you know, maybe it's hard for us to accept forgiveness sometimes because it's been linked to a problematic understanding of repentance. For some of us, it seems as if we've made forgiveness contingent or dependent on a certain kind of expression of repentance. The repentance needs to be emotional. We need to feel guilty and maybe ashamed of ourselves. And if we don't feel bad enough, God's not going to forgive us. I had a client say to me in the last month, maybe I just don't feel bad enough and God won't forgive me. So we can't accept that we've already been saved. And we make forgiveness then into something about what we do. If I'm just repentant enough, if I'm guilty enough, if I feel ashamed enough of myself, God will forgive me. Well, friends, that's absolutely backwards. We said a minute ago, you can't do anything to get it. It's already given. And we do this to others too, don't we? Sometimes those of us in the forgiveness club, someone joins and we think, well, I, you know, I just don't know that they're repentant enough. They seem kind of proud of themselves. They ought to be walking with their head down around us for a good three or four months. What are you lifting your hands up in worship? You should be down here confessing every Sunday. And we turn forgiveness for others. We hold our own forgiveness from them because we don't think they've paid enough, done their dues, been guilty enough, have changed in the way that we think they should as quickly as we think they should. But repentance in the Bible, friends, is not really about feeling bad enough. The Hebrew word repentance as found in the Old Testament, and you know this, right? 
It doesn't suggest that repentance is about being sorry enough. Repentance is about turning. It's about turning. And it's related to the concept of the Israelites turning from Babylon and turning back to home. Turning back to home. You see, when we repent, it's not about feeling bad enough, but turning away from the Babylons of our own lives and returning to our true home in Christ Jesus. And as we all know, if we're honest, turning away and turning toward may be a lifelong journey. Oh, forgive those people who told me sanctification happened in a moment, and I would never sin again. One theologian calls it this, the slow work of God. How are you with the slow work of God? In your own life and in the lives of other people. Are you okay with God is at work in me? What about are you okay with God is at work in them? Can we trust God enough in this whole thing called forgiveness And repentance and change and restoration and justification and sanctification and all the good shun words. Are we okay trusting in the slow work of God? I'm thankful for the slow work of God in my own life. And I think this is exactly why John says, but if you do sin. Did you catch that? Yes, yes. Everybody needs a little forgiveness and John knows we're going to sin. I write these two so you won't sin. But if you do... Wow, that's mercy right there. That's grace in a sentence. We need help in this long, slow work of God. We need help with turning. Turning's hard. Leaving the Babylons of our lives, those things that bring us death and destruction, and moving toward our true home in Christ Jesus is not as easy as it sounds. We need new directions. And that's hard for some of us. Before we had these little machines where we could look at our directions on our phones, sometimes we had to pull over and ask directions. It was a big joke, right? Men never wanted to pull over and ask for directions. It's embarrassing. But we need guides. We need help. We need one another. To help us get the right directions, to know how to turn. This is why the life of the church is so vital and important for us. It's the place where we learn how to turn. Ooh, that's a good title for a book. That's mine, by the way. Don't try to steal that. Church is where we learn how to turn. (laughs) Doesn't sound as good as I said it a second time. But one of the saddest things I've ever heard in the church is I can't be honest with others going to get a witness about that. We've been socialized in such a way that if I tell someone I'm struggling with this, pastor, I'm afraid they will judge me. They will think poorly of me. Maybe they'll even say, well, I guess they're not saved. I guess they haven't repented. I guess they haven't been forgiven. Have you ever heard that, felt that, known that in your own life? It's one of the saddest things I've ever heard in the church. If we can't be honest here, where can we be honest? If we can't tell the truth here, where can we tell the truth? 
In the New Testament, repentance contains the Old Testament idea of turning and a secondary meaning as well. The Greek root for the word means to go beyond the mind that we have. To go beyond the mind that we have. Now, what does this mean? It's evocative for sure. The mind that you and I have are minds that have been socialized by the time and places in which we have grown up and are shaped and formed as well by those places that continue to form us. Your mind, how you think about the world, how you understand life, is shaped by the context you find yourself in in ways that you don't even know it's being shaped. Are you with me? And we are asked to go beyond that, to move away from that. A lot of what I do as a clinical psychologist is help people to go beyond the mind that they have. They come in feeling broken. They come in feeling like there's something wrong with them. They come in feeling unloved. That's their mind. And we try to go beyond that. But few of us ever escape or go beyond the powerful mind that has been developed in us. But to go beyond the mind that we have means to see in a new way. A way shaped by God decisively in Jesus. The world tells you you're something and 1 John tells you you're something else. The world tells you you're this and this tells you you're something else. Come on now, church. Are you with me? Your upbringing told you something and the Holy Spirit is telling you something else. You may have heard I'm broken and wounded and traumatized and no one can ever love me. That's your old mind. And Paul says, be renewed in your mind. I told my Sunday school class recently, when I came to Fuller Seminary as a student back in the 90s, I sort of came with this, this big box of things I believed. You know what I mean? It's kind of like one of those, do you remember the wardrobe boxes you sometimes get where you hang up clothes before a move? It's real big, right? It takes two people to carry it usually. Big box. I came to Fuller with a big box of things I believed. Right? I'm going to seminary. I believe stuff. Hmm. Let's come and get my beliefs solidified. Tell me what I already believe. But I... But there was a problem with this big giant box of beliefs. I couldn't see anybody on the other side. And I kept turning this way and that way and bumping into people and hurting them and knocking them over with my big box of beliefs. With my mind that had been socialized by the context in which I found myself. Not just the church I grew up in, but the country I grew up in, the neighborhood I grew up in, in the whiteness that I grew up in, in the Midwesternness, in the California, all of that, right? Led to this big box. And by the power at work through the Holy Spirit, in professors, and in pastors, and in therapists, <laughs> And in friends and in the church, this big box started to get smaller and smaller and smaller. About the size of a shoebox now, I'd say. Now that might make some of you nervous. 
Oh, one of our pastors only has a shoe size box full of beliefs. Put him on warning. I'm going to take back my standing ovation from a second ago. If you're online, some people were standing when they were clapping, by the way. You couldn't see it, but they were. So I've gone from this big box to this little box, but I think it's okay. You know why? Because I can travel light. I can get places I couldn't get before. And I can see people I couldn't see before. And I don't move this box around running and bumping into people and hurting them and knocking them over anymore. Because God has changed my mind. This may be the hardest kind of repentance of all because it's to essentially admit, are you ready for it? That we might be wrong. Nobody wants to be wrong. Wrong makes us feel yucky and embarrassed and ashamed and defensive and wimpy and vulnerable. Not to put too fine a point on it. And in the culture we live today, wimpy is to be a flip-flopper. It's to be weak-minded and all sorts of other superlatives. Don't be wrong. Don't be questioning. Don't be wondering. You must know. And then fight to the death over that thing that you know. It's almost as if we would rather deal with not being forgiven than to go through the pain of admitting that we were wrong. And that applies to a lot of situations, doesn't it? I've seen, you've seen friendships end because neither person was willing to admit they might be wrong. I've seen marriages end because neither person was willing to admit that maybe they might be wrong. I've seen children stop talking to parents or stop talking to grandparents or vice versa because nobody was willing to admit that they might just be wrong. Kind of repentance, a renewing of our mind. I've told you before, I love how the Common English Bible translates repentance as changing one's heart and changing one's life. If we can take in the fact, friends, today that we are forgiven, it changes everything. It changes everything. And then verse 6 says something like this. The one who claims to know him, that is Jesus, should live like he did. The one who claims to know him or perseveres in him should live like he did. At the very least, John must be talking about forgiveness, don't you think? This makes sense given the rest of the content of the letter, which is about unity with God and with one another. To live like Jesus, the one who forgives, is to become a forgiver. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I don't know if you're like me or not, but one of my favorite things is like you go in a store to buy something or maybe you're in a, maybe you're in an ice cream shop or something and you're getting ready to buy something and you order the thing and it comes and you pull out your wallet and the person says, oh, no, 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 free of charge. Anybody else love that? 
Like, it, like endorphins like go off in my brain. Like little happy serotonin molecules are released. Free of charge. Free of charge. And then you pretend, oh no, really, no, no. Free of charge. There's nothing like something being free of charge. Friends, we've been given forgiveness free of charge. Know this this morning. Claim it this morning. And live it this morning. It's been given to you for free. Receive it and feel free to give it away. Because guess what? There's always more where that came from. Thanks be to God. As the band comes this morning to pray for us as we go to prayer, I, I just want to acknowledge that you might need to say yes today. Maybe yes for the very first time. Oh, like this forgiveness is for me? I thought I had to memorize the Nazarene manual. I thought I had to be three months sober. I thought I had to never have a bad thought again. And then, then, then. Nope, nope, nope. Remember God interrupting you? I've got gotcha. you. You're forgiven. Come, receive. You might want to come this morning and just pray that prayer. Yes, I receive your forgiveness. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jesus. And now help me turn. Help me to get directions. Help me to lean into this community of faith that can help me know this long, slow work of God. Or some of you may need to come this morning and just say, I'm entering again into the slow, long work of God. I think I've gotten too rigid, Pastor, in my beliefs. I think I've been too certain. And maybe, just maybe, God is saying, maybe you don't have it quite right, my dear little one. And that's okay. I got you. It's all right. Come on. Turn from the Babylons and come back home. Or again, as always, maybe you need to come and pray for healing for yourself or someone else, or you need to bring a specific request, you can do that as well. People will meet you to pray for you and with you. But I want to invite you as we sing this morning to come particularly at the season of Lent, a season of repentance, knowing you're already forgiven. Come, come and say yes. Let us sing. Come as we sing.